0: We are entering into our Lenten season here, continuing on and continuing our march through the gospel of Mark. So we're in Mark chapter 10 this morning is where we're gonna be. Uh, Just wanna give a shout out. The teaching team through this whole series of Mark has been using Timothy Keller's book, Jesus the King, as sort of our source material. And there's so much good in here. And there's so much that, that... Keller brings to it that has come out in, uh, in our teaching, and I just want to give credit where credit is due. If you're interested in getting more into this series on Mark, feel free to grab this. I just want to thank Tim Keller and God's work in his life. For those of you who uh, aren't normally uh, auditorium folks, or maybe you're here as a guest this morning, uh, quick update. A couple of months ago, I shared that uh, one of our largest clients had decided uh, after 17, going into 17 years, that they were going to pull out. And a client is pretty significant chunk of Wendy and I's income. And a lot of you have been praying and said, come up and said, hey, I'm praying for you, praying for you and Wendy. And thank you, thank you, thank you. I just feel sort of like responsible that I should give an update. Um, God is good. Uh, we got a long way to go, and actually, uh, in December, when they gave us notice, it was like a 90-day notice, so as of the end of March uh, is when, when things finally shut down and we're in the process of shutting down. You can pray specifically for me on April 11th through the 14th, because I'm going to be making my last trip down there to be with a client, and I realized that this week that and I r- r- told Wendy this. I just said, I just realized that I am, I'm grieving. I noticed that there's some things just in my behavior, in my emotions, um, some things that are just coming out. And I, I went, you know what, I'm grieving. And I completely, uh, complete honestly, yeah, absolutely. I'm anxious about <laughs> what's gonna happen uh, financially and how God's gonna provide. But more than that, I realized I'm grieving because I've had relationship with some of these people for for over 16 years. I've held their babies. I've shared life. I I walked with one person who who she realized she was an alcoholic and came to Christ in a movie theater. And I've walked with her spiritually as she's grown in Christ and watched that happen. I, I know their life stories. I love these people. And I realized that I don't want to say goodbye. So you can pray for me um, that I can make this last trip on business um, count uh, in more spiritual ways. So pray for me if you do. I have a confession to make too. As we get into the text today, we're in Mark 10 and we're going to do the the story of the rich young ruler, which starts in verse 17. Uh, and as we get into this, I, I also want to confess that in my life, money and things and wealth have been one of the toughest areas of transformation for me. And I think it becomes, part of it was as a kid, um, I remember, I just... I was that kid that spent every dime I had as soon as I had it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like my brother, I'll never forget, my brother had this Skippy jar and he, he shut it and then he put athletic tape around it, around the lid and a thing in the top. And he filled that with extra change and it sat by his bed for years, years. Years. And I can remember looking at that jar and thinking, how long are you gonna save all that change? Because if it was me, I got a lot of stuff I'd spend it on. (laughs) And that was kind of my mentality. So I had a lot of things that God had to transform in me. I can remember what it was like to have very little. Uh, My first, I remember registration day every semester of college was the most anxious day for me because every time I had no clue how I was going to pay for that semester of college. I had no clue and I was convinced every time I sat down with the financial aid office, I was convinced that they would tell me to pack my bags and go home. And I had a sweet mate that actually that happened to so I remember what it was like to have that anxiety. I remember my first apartment between my junior and senior year in college, this roach-infested upstairs room of this old house in Ellington, Illinois. You know, kind of, you turn the light on and the roaches would scatter. Yep, that's what it was. And I remember after moving into the apartment and, and getting the things that needed to set up an apartment, had enough money for a loaf of bread and a jar of Skippy. And that's what I ate all week long, because that's all I had. So I remember what it's like to have very little. And I've experienced what it's like to have a lot. And God is still, still, still working on me because what I've recognized in myself is that I have always had sort of this scarcity mentality. And it all around I think this whole thing of wealth and money, there's never enough, there's never enough. Oh, there's not gonna be enough. And that's something that, that God has continually been working on me. So every time I come to the story of the rich young ruler, it creates all sort of churning in me. Can I just be honest about that? But I am blown away as we're gonna talk about this today, because there's so much in here that I am seeing for the first time in my 40 years of studying scripture. So let's dive in, and I'm just gonna read the passage, and then we're gonna dig into it. All right, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal. You know the big 10, top 10 commandments. Shall not give false testimony, shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have done all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him And loved him. And if you're taking notes this morning, you got your pen out, I want you to circle that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle And for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, well, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. So let's jump back to verse 18 we've got this wealthy Jewish young man who has great wealth, which means that he probably has a big house, he's probably got some servants, he's got plenty of money, nothing he has to really worry about in life, no anxieties. And he comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. He's got everything. He's even got religion because it's just a second he's going to say, hey, I've done all, I've kept the commandments. I'm a good, I'm a good kid. I'm a good, I've done everything right. Everything in my life is right. Everything in my life is blessed. So why is he coming to Jesus and asking why, how do you get eternal life? Wouldn't you think that if you had all of that, that if you were a good religious person doing all the right things and you had no lack of anything, that you would feel like, okay, God, you have blessed me. I must be in good place with you. No. He had everything. He had done everything. And there's this nagging sense. It's not enough there's something that's missing. I'm afraid that I'm going to die and I'm gonna go and stand before God and I'm not gonna be right. See, it doesn't matter. We all have this nagging sense. In over the years in my career, I have worked with people at every level of corporate America, from the front lines to the CEO's of office. And I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's still true. I find that the higher you get on the corporate food chain, the lonelier life becomes for people. I have found people that are in the C suite CEO, COO, CFO, <laughs> CMO. People in the C-suite are some of the loneliest people. They don't trust anybody because they don't know who they can trust because everybody's vying for more power and position. And I find that they've gotten to this position and yet they know there's something they lack. It's not enough. I was just talking to a friend this last week and we have a common friend who is the CEO uh, of a large corporation. And we were talking about this person, and my friend said, I watch as our our mutual friend will share about things and about his life, and I can tell that he's posturing it so as to not look bad. Because that's what you do when you get to a certain level, right? Like, I don't want anybody to know anything bad about me. And so he said, I have on multiple occasions looked him in the eye and said, wait, 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 stop. Time out. There is nothing that you can say to me that is going to diminish what I think of you. And I don't care about you being the CEO of a corporation. I could care less, so stop it. And he said, yeah, he always gets kind of flustered. But that's the way it is. anybody else, can I get a witness? Do you sometimes kind of go, yes, I've been doing all, of them. I've been trying to do all the right thing my whole life and still I'm sitting there going, oh God, I hope it's enough. I hope when I get there, everything's okay. I don't want to get to the great white throne and find out, oh, there was something I was missing. So that's where this guy is at. I've got everything in the world, but there's still something nagging at me. Now, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Because there is no one but good but God. Now I think there's two things going on here. Number one, he's saying, he's calling the guy out. Look, you've got everything, you have done everything, you're a religious person, you have done all the things right, and yet you still are coming to me and saying, good teacher? Don't you know that there's nobody good but God? What are you still looking for? Why are you coming to me? Looking for the next spiritual guru to give you the missing piece if what you have done has been so much and so great and so accomplished. See, in the Jewish culture, a good Jewish man, he knew all the commandments by heart. They had commandments upon rules, upon sub upon addendums. They, rules upon rules, upon rules, upon rules. And they believed that if you just did, you avoided the bad stuff and you were obedient to the law and to the rules, then God would bless you. See the prosperity gospel that we have in our culture today, it's not new. It's it's part of the human condition. If I just do all the right stuff, God will bless me. If I avoid all the bad stuff, God will bless me. So here's this guy who is blessed beyond measure and still has lack. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. You know the commandments. So now Jesus is digging into this because he knows that the guy knows his commandments. He's a good Jewish guy. You know him. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And he declares, I have done all of these things since I was a boy. I was just blogging earlier this week about the fact that when I was growing up, I I found, and I look back on my youth. And I find that I was taught a lot, especially in the church, about purity. Everything was about purity, you have to be pure. And purity is the thing that a young man is supposed to attain, that was kind of the highest level. So I had to be accountable to people, to be pure. And the hard thing about that is is that that's, yeah. It didn't matter how good I was, I knew that I still had impurity in my heart. I still had impure thoughts in my mind. So I was always, I was never enough, never pure enough. And I was noticing it as I was blogging this week, I was going through scripture, through Hebrews, that the scriptures talk, when they talk about suffering, when they talk about what God's plan is us, he talks about maturity wholeness, completeness. Even when Jesus said, be perfect as my father is perfect in in the Sermon on the Mount, the Greek word there is really about completeness. Be complete, be whole. Consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials and sufferings knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let that endurance have its work in you, that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And I realized that I spent a lot of years chasing purity and it's not that purity is a bad thing, but when we, When we grow in our wholeness and completeness in Christ, the purity takes care of itself. So we have this young man who's still missing something. He's been pure. He's kept all the commandments, but he's not whole. So I've done it, teacher for my whole life, since I was a boy, I've been a good. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, there are very few places in the Bible where it says specifically, Jesus loved blank. One of them was Mary and Martha. It says in John, Jesus loved Martha. Doesn't say it very often, but here's one. So here's this guy, and Jesus looks at him man, I love you, I love you. See, we think of him, yep, yeah, oh, you're not doing it right because you haven't sold all you can to the poor, and he's gonna go walk away really sad, and oh, he's gone, he's condemned, he didn't measure up. But that wasn't Jesus' attitude at all. Jesus' attitude was, I love you. So I'm gonna tell you something because I love you, and I want you to have my love. Gotta understand Jesus' heart in this. I've been reading a book, I just started, called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. And it's about people all over the world who have had near-death experiences. They have died and then had an experience of heaven and then came back to life. And so he studied it for over 30 years. He studied this. He listened to people. He had gathered stories. And what's fascinating is, I was listening this, because I'm listening to it on an audiobook. So I was doing stuff and I'm listening to this book. And one of the things, it was this woman from Singapore who died. And she, she remembers the tunnel <laughs> and the light. But she describes it as I just, it was like, Perfect love. I was loved like I'd never experienced love before. I was like perfect, wrapped in love. And I knew that I was so loved. And even as my life played out before my eyes and I saw all the bad things I had done in my life, It didn't shake this perfect love that was surrounding me. And I didn't wanna go back. And that's one of the common things people who have near-death experiences, they don't want to come back. (laughs) One of the the near-death experiences, the woman didn't even tell her family about her near-death experience for years. Because she didn't want them to think that she didn't love them. Because she didn't want to come back. So think about that. That's that's what Jesus wants for us. That's what Jesus is calling us into. Being perfectly loved and whole. Despite our impurities. Despite our flaws. Despite our our scarcity mentality, he wants us to experience it all. That's what he wanted for this rich young ruler. So what he's saying when he says, there's one thing you lack, stick with me now. It's not just what you do about the bad things that you're to avoid. That's the purity culture. Jesus is saying, What have you done with the good things you've been given? Because that's when you understand wholeness. And I want you to understand that all of the good things, the blessings, the wealth, the money, the affluence, all of the good things, are what's getting in your way. Tim Keller lists five things. <laughs> you know, if you, if, if you avoid the bad things, it just makes you religious, right? I'm just religious, I'm just going through the motions, avoiding the bad things. But it's the good things that get in the way of wholeness. Five things that Keller lists. We use good things to hide the imperfections that other people don't see, right? I couldn't help, confess, I couldn't help but think about social media and what I put out on social media and what am I projecting to the world. Number two, we try to turn material Things into spiritual treasure in order to deal with our inner sense of poverty. Well, if I just do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, look at me! Look at all that I have! Look at all that I've accomplished! It must mean that I'm okay. That's what the rich young must mean that I'm okay. I try and do that. Number three, we try to use a beautiful life, a Pinterest-worthy, Insta life to deal with our inner sense of deformity. What do I have to do? What must I do? It's still not enough. There's still this sense of lack. Number four, we use good things to feel superior to others. Well, that person, yep. They're living the white trash trailer life. I must've done something, right? Because look at how God has blessed me. Can we be honest that sometimes we feel that way? And number five, we appoint to our attainment and our accomplishments and we say, look what I've done. God, look at all the things that I've done for you. Look at all the things that I've done, all the ways that I've served you my whole life. Look what I've done. You owe me. That's gotta be enough for me to make it in. But do you realize that whenever we do this, what we're saying is it's still about our merit. It's still about what I've done. It's still about, boom, I've avoided all these things. But all this stuff is giving me this sense of accomplishment and achievement and spiritual treasure that doesn't even exist. So Jesus says, there's one thing you lack, your good things are getting in the way. So here's what I want you to think. God may be your boss, And obviously he is, because you're being obedient to him. God is your boss, but he's not your savior. Because you're you're still thinking that all of this is going to save you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine your life without money. No house, no car, no 401k. No corner office, no investments, no savings. Imagine that all you have is me. Can you live like that? So it begs the question of me and all of us, Can we live like that? How much is the good stuff getting in the way? Now, it says that the rich young ruler went away sad, and it's really interesting there, and this is really important. So if you don't catch anything else this morning, catch this. It says he walked away sad, and the word there in the Greek is grieved. Grieved. So he really walked away grieved. It's the same word that Matthew uses talking about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 37, as Jesus is about ready to go to the crucifixion and he's praying to God to let this cup pass for him. And he is so anguished that he's sweating blood because he knows he's going to die and be separated from the father. And it says, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. In other words, it's the same word, he grieved. You see, what all of this wealth Was to the rich young ruler, what all his wealth and affluence is to us. That's what the father God was to Jesus. And when he was gonna go to the cross, he was staring down the fact that he was going to die. And when he told the rich young ruler, hey, empty yourself, empty your bank account, empty your life and then follow me. Jesus was speaking from the perspective of being the creator. God of the universe in perfect love, circle of love relationship with the Father and with the Spirit. He lived eternally in this perfect love scenario and he wants us to have that same experience. So what did he do? He emptied himself. He gave up that to come here. to love you so that you could feel that love, so that you could experience that love for eternity. So he's gonna go to that cross and he's gonna be beaten and scourged, mocked, spit on. His nails are gonna be driven into his hands and his feet. And he is going to be separated from the Father. He'd lost 99% (laughs) in coming to earth and now he's gonna lose the last thing that's important to him and that is his connection to the Father and the Spirit. He's emptying himself, he is giving everything for you. I'm taking care of the big ask. Are you willing to take care of the little ask? To take up your cross and empty yourself? Don't want it to be your boss. I came to be your savior. But it requires everything. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul said, Jesus was rich. (laughs) Do you ever think about that? Jesus was rich. And for our sakes, he became poor. So Jesus was not asking anything of the rich young ruler that he hadn't already done himself. And he wanted to understand that all of these things that we look for to be our savior are only getting in the way. So how do we avoid it? Well, Keller says, and I agree with him, that Jesus wants our understanding, our feelings about wealth and affluence to be transformed by this. Because once we understand that it's only by giving everything away and understanding that that all of this good things aren't really ours anyway, Everything belongs to the Father. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Everything's gonna came to us from him. Everything's gonna go back to him. So if we, get, if we begin to understand that, there's that nothing in me, and it's nothing that I have, then I begin to understand that my wholeness happens out of surrender. This last, uh, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up. This last, uh, Well, a couple years ago, in business, you heard of BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. Well, a couple years ago, Wendy and I were driving, I still remember this, um, and we were driving down Idaho Drive um, towards home. And we had been talking about this project that we want to do in our home, kind of a big major project. And Wendy sort of prophetically announced in the way that an Enneagram 8 announces sometimes, saying, we are not going to do this project until we do this, and I'm gonna call it a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious generosity. And she put it out there and said, we're, going to, this, we're gonna do this big, generous thing that for us is like major, before we spend money on ourselves. I'm like going, okay, all right, good. So fast forward a year or two, and we're talking about, oh, it comes back up. Uh, Hey, I think it's about time that we do this project. And I said, well, we can't do that project until we do this big, hairy, audacious generosity thing. That's what you said. And she's like, I said that? I said, yes, you said that. (laughs) You're right, I, I forgot about that. All right, so we kind of put that on the table. Then we find out that <laughs> our largest client is going away in a big chunk of our income, which fuels in me the scarcity mentality. And and that's wise, right? Be careful about what you're spending. Be careful about what you do. Be careful because I don't know what next month's gonna look like and the month after that, the month after that, the month after that, don't spend money. So we're driving this last week and I was driving Wendy's sitting there in the car with me and I'm thinking about things and, and God's spirit just said, you know that big, hairy, audacious generosity? I want you to do it now. And I just, I, it was cleared my spirit. I'm going, yeah, that's not gonna go over very well. I swear to you, 10 minutes later, Wendy looked at me and said, I think we're supposed to do that big, hairy, audacious generosity thing. And I said, Are you kidding me? I was just thinking that 10 minutes ago. All right, I guess that's settled. And there's every, <laughs> the Dutchman in me says, This is the fool, most foolish, stupid thing I could do. But I have to remember that it's, I serve the savior of the world, who is Jehovah Jireh, who provides. And sometimes you have to step out in faith and say, look, this stuff just gets in the way. So I'm just <laughs> do it and trust God to provide. I'm learning, I'm learning. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for all of us. I want you to be our savior, God, not just our boss. It's not about being obedient to the rules. It's about being whole in you, about you getting everything that we have and are. Teach us about your economy. Teach us, Lord, and give us the faith to let go and surrender everything that we might gain you and your perfect love. Amen. Elders are gonna be here for communion. Feel free to come up and take it. And uh, let's worship God together.